Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live Well Bipolar. I am so excited about this one because I have a special guest with me. We were actually going to record this episode a while back, and she has been amazing, such a trooper with holding through to get this day here where we're finally here being able to record. But I want to tell you guys a little bit about who I have on with us today. So her name is Mel Howard, and she is a stay-at-home mom and part-time dog walker. She also advocates for mental illness through sharing her lived experiences, fundraising, and volunteering with initiatives that support mental health awareness. And we're going to be diving into her story as well with bipolar disorder, postpartum depression, and all these things related to parenting with bipolar disorder and what her experience has been like. So I'm very excited to get into this topic because this is not something that I've had an entire episode dedicated to. So Mel, thank you so much for making the time to be out here today. And we're finally able to get it set. So I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Of course. And just to kick things off, just a little bit more background on your story specifically related to your diagnosis with bipolar, because we were talking a little bit before you guys, before I hit record and I'll let Mel take it away and tell you a little bit about when she was diagnosed and a little bit history on that note. So I was fully diagnosed at 19. However, I lived with mental illness for the better part of my life, through my childhood, into my teens. And then obviously I had my diagnosis. So I think probably when I realized there was a problem was when I was about 11 and I had had surgery, what I now know as dissociative disorder. I had gone through a lot of trauma and then I had a really bad gymnastics accident, which ended up needing three surgeries to fix it. And then from then I had basically surgery after surgery for about, for about four years. So there was just a lot of trauma to my backstory, but yes, I was diagnosed at 19 after experiencing mania that actually flipped into psychosis. So I ended up hospitalized yeah, that's, mm-hmm. and, and life kept going from there. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And I like how you give the breakdown of, I was diagnosed officially with bipolar one at 19, but leading up to that, you talk about through your childhood teens struggling with mental illness, but not having a name label, anything of that sort with it to kind of, yeah. you know, make more sense of it. But then especially talking about the past traumas and then the, all the, the accident that you had, the gymnastics accident, how that really tied in. And then all the surgeries that you talked about for years following like those three surgeries and then back to back for that, that time period. So I know you talked about as early as 11, but when was the accident? Like what age was the that? The accident was at 10. Um, and it was close to my 11th birthday. And what ended up happening was surgeon that did the initial surgery actually was negligent. And so I kept going back, complaining of pain. Um, He wasn't taking me seriously and basically told me that the pain was in my head Mm -hmm. and that I should probably get checked by a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist. So I started having nightmares, nightmares that my arm was going to be amputated. Um, 
the pain was so bad that it went into my neck and I was getting numbing in my fingers, you know, and my parents didn't really know what to do. Like, this is a surgeon, you know, what are we going to do? They discussed it with my pediatrician at the time. My pediatrician felt the same thing. You know, he's a surgeon. He knows what he's talking about. Um, I ended up in the hospital for 10 days, literally sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, the general surgeon there did every diagnostic test possible to rule out everything. And finally, the question was posed to my mother, did anything happen? Has anything happened recently? And so my mom explained what was happening with my arm and he set up an appointment with the head orthopedic surgeon at the children's hospital that I was treated at. And right away, x-rays, ultrasound, the bone had detached and was wrapped in my ulnar nerve, which cut off all feeling to my pinky, my ring finger, and my index finger. Um, So I obviously needed surgery to repair that. So they had to go in and put pins in. Um, And yeah, from there, it was really, really exhausting. Like I I had a year of intensive therapy. I had to wear a splint um, because originally the doctor felt that my arm would never extend past a 90 degree angle. So yeah, there was a lot there. There There was a lot. And through that time, I had been on pain medication and um, my moods were erratic. I was very emotional. I no longer had gymnastics as an outlet anymore, which I loved. It made me feel confident. Um, I was good at it. So all this stuff is taken away and, you know, I wasn't going to school regularly anymore. So I felt disconnected from my peers that were my age. Um, but yeah, all of this, this, that entire experience led to dissociative disorder as I know it, or as I did research on it and how my therapist explained it to me, I would just detach because the pain was so intense when it wasn't being treated that I just kind of detached and, I was glazed over. I was never happy during that time. Um, Yeah, it was just a very difficult time. Especially with what you're saying with the doctors and trying to go and talk about, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm still feeling. And they're like, no, this is all in your head. So already being dismissed from such a young age, trying to communicate that. And then again, on top of it, your pediatrician and then your parents not knowing what to do. And it's hard because they're trying to advocate on behalf of you and okay, well, this is what the surgeon said, but then let's go to the pediatrician and then going through therapy. But then even like having such a big life altering change where you talk about feeling disconnected from your peers, not having gymnastics in your life, which was a big source of happiness and a part two of your identity. So I'd love to ask you, especially when you were mentioning the dissociative disorder, um, I'd love to learn more about that. Is this at all related to, or is this separate from because I know of dissociative identity disorder. Is it the same or separate? No, it's it's separate. Um, for me, dissociative disorder, like it was a protection, I, I guess. Like um, I, I had experienced medical trauma from a very young age. Like, so 
probably since two-ish. Um, and I would just detach. And, you know, my, you know, like, there were many people in my home that I knew loved me, but it didn't quite feel like love. Like, mm. I didn't feel safe in my home environment. I had to be really careful on um, on how I reacted to things. Like I just felt that there were there were so many emotions that I didn't know how to explain. So it was either I was happy, mad, or sad. And so, yeah, it was it was tough because when I was when I was really little, I I lived with acute asthma and I was on steroids, a lot of steroids. And we know now steroids contribute to depression um, mm -hmm. and they like can trigger mood disorders. Um, and you know what? It was at that time, that was how I was treated. That's how my asthma needed to be treated. That's what kept me alive because my airways would get so constricted. Mm -hmm. But you know, that was tough. So there were so many medical procedures that I had gone through that, um, that I just always felt different. Mm -hmm. I always, I always felt different. Um, and you know, a lot of what was happening to me wasn't explained by mm -hmm. the adults around me. It just was what it was. And, you know, oh, we're going to the hospital. They're going to poke you with this now. And it was just like, okay, you know, like mm. it wasn't ever explained. So I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to process it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense too. We're talking about the dissociative part coming in. Cause you talk about having this experience with medical trauma as young as two years old and talking about what's going on, but then being dismissed. And it really re reminds me of the, the flip side of it, right? Like what you're talking about physically what's happening in your body. But then when you try to relay that about how that's impacting your mental health, and you're talking about the steroids and the impact that that had at such a young age, and then being dismissed on that point, right. With, okay, well, we'll just try this medication or do this therapy. So I'd love to see too, from, from this point, you talk about the accident happening at 10 and then going through all of those surgeries and then leading up to your diagnosis of at bipolar one at 19 with the hospitalization and then going into psychosis, how did your diagnosis come about? I would love to learn like how that connection came. So, um, initially I had just graduated high school and I killed that last year of high school. I, you know, I, I was hypomanic through that entire year. Um, you know, I worked, I had an active social life. I made honor roll. Um, you know, it was, life was good. I was doing a whole lot of things. It looked really productive, you know? Um, and then literally a few weeks into the summer, I just collapsed and I started feeling dissociated and I couldn't like, I just slept. I mm -hmm. slept like I, and at the time too, I was, um, battling anorexia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it got to a point where it was like, okay, she's collapsed because she's not eating enough. Um, she needs to start eating. So it, there was just all of these things that just came to a head after I graduated. And I feel like it was almost like 
my body was saying, okay, you can't go on like this. So we're shutting things down, you know, and you're going to sleep now. So I started to feel dissociated. Everything was fuzzy. You know, things weren't making sense to me. Um, And I would tell my mom that I was like, things aren't making sense. Like my friends aren't making sense. I'm like, things around me aren't making sense. Um, And she's like, no, no, we're all the same. And then a few weeks later, it was like, my world was unrecognizable to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was in the thick of depression. I didn't leave my room. Um, I felt like an imposter. Like I felt like everybody around me, they looked like my family. They looked like my friends, but um, they didn't act like it. Like I felt like I was displaced. And so I stayed in my room because I just couldn't handle what was happening around me. Like if there was a change in the house, I was like hypersensitive to it. Um, I was hypersensitive to sound right down to like telephone ringing or the fridge, you know, the ice machine engaging. Um, And so at that time, my mother had got me a consult with an eating disorder specialist who so happened to deal with um, mood disorders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we went and I was very reluctant and I was sad. Um, and at that time, you know, my family doctor had been putting me on different types of antidepressants. Nothing was working. Uh, my weight, like, increased exponentially for me. Um, so there were a lot of things being said about that. My grandmother had mentioned my weight, my parents, you know, like it, it was just a tough time. And through all of this, I still was not understanding what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. I saw this, I saw the eating disorder specialist and we just talked, you know, here and there. And then all of a sudden it was like a switch. And within four weeks of me not doing anything for about nine months and staying inside, I, it was like, I was hit with electricity and Mm -hmm. just the energy, my pressured speech, all the weight I had gained just fell off. So then the, the issue was, okay, did the eating disorder start first? Or did all the weight come off prior because she was hypomanic? So there was this confusion at that time as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as the doctor, she visualized this happening before her eyes, she's like, definite, you have bipolar disorder. Yeah. And hearing you get introduced to that, like you talk about your mom, you guys connected and then you found the specialist who worked with mood disorders as well, because just learning about the relationship between eating disorders and then mood disorders was something I had another conversation with another guest who came on and talked about that and does work in that. And then also, you know, brought that up too. And especially when you're talking about still during this time, not understanding what's going on. And then, and then her coming out. So she said to you, you have bipolar. And then how did you feel in that moment when you've had that conversation? I, you know what it, 
I was, I was terrified, but I was like, okay, there's like, there's a name to this. Like there is a name to this. This is something I'm not like, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not going crazy. And then my care transferred from my, from my parents getting me the care they thought that I needed to me getting the care that I needed as an adult. It was, it was tough because, you know, the help my parents got me was help that they thought I needed, Mm -hmm. which was really frustrating because the doctor that I was seeing didn't think I had bipolar disorder. Mm. He did not feel I had bipolar disorder when I slipped into the depression. Um, he made it very clear to my parents. And then, you know, it, it was it was frustrating. It was frustrating um, because I think I probably could have been diagnosed earlier. Like, I mean, you know, obviously we know now with the research, children can have develop bipolar disorder and there are many red flags and I probably had most of them, right? Like, you know, growing up, I couldn't self-regulate. My mood swings would fluctuate from high to low within hours. Um, I had my first depressive episode as a child, like under 10 years old, I experienced dissociation. So there were a lot of markers that indicated, okay, this might be more than just depression. And all the, all the traumas I had experienced. And actually, um, I was, um, I've done some research and found out that trauma can impact the severity of bipolar episodes with psychosis in particular so you know it's hard it's hard when you go back and think okay well if this was caught this might have been different so Mm -hmm. I've had to kind of let that go especially with this could have been caught earlier or mentioning my psychiatrist didn't think that I had bipolar it wasn't until you had the eating disorder specialist and then you mentioned like the the comparison with your parents, getting you the help they thought that you needed to you translating it into like first hearing about that. Okay. Bipolar it's, and then being, having that initial reaction of being scared and then thinking, okay, well now I have a name to this. And then, but then having those questions of why did it take so long? Because I've been experiencing this for so much of my life. But I know you mentioned earlier as well, like you talked about being put on antidepressants and different things. And that was the same, pretty similar experience for me because my first diagnosis was depression. And then obviously the antidepressants, and then you know how that can impact not being able to self-regulate. And then you're on these medications that don't correlate with really what's going on with you. It just kind of seems like what might be happening, but you're kind of being dismissed and you're not even being taken seriously. So you're trying to say, Hey, this is what I think might be going on. I know that was my experience. So I want to ask you after you got the diagnosis, was there anything that was helpful for you during your time? Cause I know for me with my hospitalization, it wasn't a positive experience and I didn't make positive changes until much like years later. So I'd love to hear your experience, like with your diagnosis hospitalization, did you pull anything from that? that did have a positive impact or what was your experience like? So my parents, when I was, um, 
on the rise after my depression. Um, I was doing a lot of reading and, you know, I was cycling every day. I was out of the house. I was walking. I was writing. Um, and so my parents actually had me formed. So I went into the hospital and I'm sitting there. And obviously I have a security guard outside my door. And, you know, I'm I'm fine and I'm writing. And so I guess one of the team members comes in and I said, you know, you can't keep me here. There's really nothing wrong with me. Right. Like, you know, they did blood work and they're like, well, you know, you're anemic and your iron is really low. And, you know, are you eating? So they, they were, were going through all these questions and I'm like, yeah, I'm eating. Yeah. Um, they're like, well, you're writing a lot. Can we see what you're writing? And I said, absolutely not. And um, I said, listen, my parents went through extreme measures, obviously, to get a doctor to sign me in here, who was also the doctor that did not think I was bipolar. Mm. I said, so I'm 19. I know my rights. I'm like, I would like to speak to a lawyer because there's nothing wrong with me. And so the team just kind of sat there and looked back at me and were like, hmm. And they kept asking questions. And I was answering very, very bluntly. And I was very curt. I was angry as well. Um, so at the end of it, they had to release me. Because they were like, there's there's no reason to hold her. She doesn't look like she's a risk to herself. She doesn't, you know. And so, you know, my parents were waiting outside and I looked at them. And it was funny because at that moment there, you know, my parents to this day still tell me that I sabotaged that, mm -hmm. that hospital admittance. And it was like, no, I didn't sabotage it. I was sick and you had basically had your what like you didn't know what to do anymore so you had a doctor kind of form me you know the same doctor that did not think that I had bipolar disorder um and I'm angry so this is my reaction mm -hmm. see that's the thing too is I know from like just thinking back to my experience, I felt the same. Like I exactly what you were saying. I was like, wow, this reminds me of how I was trying to communicate with them, but just, it wasn't, it didn't get through. And it was just, you know, I ended up my situation kind of putting myself in there, but really like you're saying, like not being a risk to myself, but then also there's parts that I just don't remember. There's a lot that I do, but then like that you don't. So from that point, after you had that and they they took released you and you came out, when did you start to do more of the research that you talked about earlier? Like you talked about doing the research, seeing the impacts of trauma with the severity of bipolar disorder. When did you start to 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 do more of that work from that time? So I was still young then. Mm -hmm. Um and that was not my only hospitalization. Like I was hospitalized a few more times after that. Actually, um, like after that, that initial one that my parents had me formed, um, my ma my mania kind of skyrocketed from there. Like, mm -hmm. um, so I ended up going in again, but on my own volition. So first hospitalization was nineteen. 
19. And then the, um, the ones when you, you said you went in on your own, what was the age? 19. Okay. I had also gone in um, twice to a privatized eating disorder clinic. So I was there um, for a few months on end twice. And all of this is not fun, right? Like, you know, they're trying to treat one thing, but if they're not treat, like to me, my diagnosis needed to be treated together. And, you know, being in hospital, being on weight gain for my eating disorder, but not treating the bipolar, it was just very confusing. And yeah, like I had a hard time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just exiting my teens into my early 20s. And it it was really hellish. Um, I managed to stabilize for a long time. What was your expectation of what motherhood would look like before you had your children? And then what does it look like now? And just any tips that you have for managing episodes um, during that as well is helpful. So I, I knew motherhood was going to be a challenge um, given my diagnosis um, and the fact that I had to manage it and how my hormones were going to affect um, my moods as well. So for me, I just didn't want to repeat the same patterns that my parents repeated. So when I had my daughter, I was quite young, um, but I was very hands-on with her. I've stayed home with both kids until now basically. Um, So my daughter is going into her fourth year at university and my son is going into grade 10. So, you know, I've always been very hands-on and that's, that's what I wanted. And at the time, like that was what my husband and I agreed on. Um, But for the most part, I was able to manage my bipolar until um, I had that one major manic episode um, and then it all fell apart. Mm -hmm. Parenting literally went out the window for me. Um, I can only stay in a hypomanic state for a short period of time before I go into full-blown mania. Um, And as I was elevating um I actually left I walked out the door and left um and I had enough foresight that I knew my husband would be able to manage with the help of family but I knew that if I stayed the kids watching me implode would have been much more traumatic mm-hmm. like the history with that too. And then not, especially not wanting to repeat the patterns you talk about with, yeah. with your parents, with how you were raised too, and going into that. And then you talk about your daughter um, now going into, you said fourth year university and your son's university. going into, yeah, um, that grade 10 and having that plan of staying home and being present, but then saying, if I were to stay during this time of with what I'm dealing with, with the episodes, having them seeing that would have been much more destructive than stepping 
out from there. So I'd love to hear from you, like what, how did you guys go about putting that plan in place? There was no plan in place. It was pure mania. That was the driving force behind all of my decisions. Um, At that time, my husband had never experienced a manic episode with me. He saw me stable, you know, for years. It had been, it had been literally 10 years of stability um, with the, the, with the managing the bipolar um, postpartum depression. So he saw that and then it was a total slip of who I was. And so I literally, I started to have suicidal ideation. Um, and that's what became even scarier. So as the mania kind of crept up and blew up inside of me, um, if I had stayed, I'm not sure what would have happened at that point. Um, so I just left. I literally got up and left and I had, I had zero support. Um, you know, family was very angry with me. Everybody was very, very angry with me. You know, the first, the, the, you know, oh, how could you leave your children kind of thing? Like they're your kids, you know, what kind of mother are you? Um, so it was, it was hard. It was hard to hear all that, but, you know, if they had known anything about the disorder, I wasn't making a choice to leave. It was because, like, do, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. it wasn't, I was so ill that that was in my head, the best thing to do. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying too, because especially when you bring up the point of not making the choice to leave and then family seeing it that way, or people who don't know what it's like to live with bipolar at all, they haven't even asked you to get into the details of your experience. It comes off that way. Right. So, so from someone in that point of view, okay. You know, having these questions of why would you leave being really upset, being really angry, but then thinking from you, they're sitting there thinking, well, she made the choice to do this, but not completely Mm -hmm. not discounting the fact of the illness and the suicidal ideation and what you were dealing with at the time. And then also the history there. So I think that's a really, really important point to to bring up paris it was an effing train wreck like if somebody were to repeat my story back to me i'd be like when's season two coming out (laughs) it was it was a train wreck and and i don't mean to downplay it or laugh like i can look back now but i honestly i put myself in situations where i'm not even sure how i'm here to this day mm-hmm. um and and no one was actually listening to me like you know i would be saying things and they're like well you need to do this and you need to do that and it's like no like you're not hearing what i need and mm-hmm. it was just all this judgment being thrown at me um You know, and I had an acquaintance at the time take me in and, oh my God, I probably created so much trauma in her home. Mm -hmm. Like, and, you know, 
at the time I was, I was saying, you know, I just, I need to leave. I need to leave. Like it was just so poorly managed. Like mm-hmm. I was in full destruction mode and, you know, nothing anyone could say was going to bring me down off of this high. Mm-hmm. And then I start, like my mind started slipping and, you know, the psychosis started setting in. So I just, I just wasn't thinking about anything. It was all just impulse, impulse after impulse. And that's hearing you say that that's exactly my memory of what it was like to be in psychosis of having that, that, that experience, because I know something you mentioned, you said that they weren't um, able to hear what you needed. So if you could share too, like your life from that point, right? So going in, going through that, that entire transition, and you even mentioned going into living with an acquaintance and talking about that and what that experience was like, what things did you end up doing differently in in your life from how you were before to how you are today? So, you know, it, it got to the point where, um, you know, my husband and I separated we separated and we were trying to figure things out and the kids were still young. My son doesn't have any recollection of it. Um, But the first thing I did was we all went to therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, for my son, it was play-based for my daughter. It was different. It was more counseling. We did family, we did couple therapy and, you know, it just kind of got to the, came to a head and we decided, okay, we're either going to part ways because this was a lot or we're going to put in 120% effort. Um, so that's what we decided to do. And from there, I started going back. I started working on my traumas from a ch- from childhood. So once the episode stabilized and we managed to find medication that was actually helping manage it, I also had to come off clonazepam, which I had been on for years since postpartum depression. So I was coming off of that with all those side effects and regaining stability going on to my new meds. So there was just a lot going on. Um, And then at the same time, you know, I was trying to work on things from the past and, you know, raise my kids. So there was just a lot. Mm -hmm. And I still couldn't touch upon that, that episode because it was too raw still. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started working with past traumas. And I started realizing certain patterns and, you know, verbalizing what I had gone through was not okay. Like how circumstances were, were handled just from childhood, how I was treated and how I was treated by family members right up until this last manic episode. And what ended up happening was a slow detachment from certain family members 
And it wasn't all at once. Like I said, it, it's been over like a 10 year cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. But I removed many people from my life unapologetically, you know, and I also started to put very firm boundaries around myself. Especially when you mentioned we could either separate and continue to to go this direction, or we can give 120%. You talk about as a family, you know, not just you and your husband, but then the couples therapy, family therapy, taking those people out of your life. You talk about boundaries, setting those in place. And and then also the past traumas going back and something you said that really stuck with me is realizing that this isn't okay. And that these things were not okay. And doing that work and then starting that process. And you mentioned like the 10 year, the period of like all of the things that led up to kind of going through that. A lot of the stuff that you mentioned is very similar to changes that I started to implement over the years too, and took that kind of process. So if you can give me like the number one thing in your life right now to this day, that is the most helpful, whether it's a part of your routine or something that you've done in the past. What is that thing that has helped you the most with, with being able to live well bipolar? It sounds really simple, but just being outside on my own and either with my dogs or just being in nature, like it, it, it's, it's so simple for me um, because I've always found comfort in long walks and just listening to music, um, you know, like, and I could cry and I could think about things. That was just where I thrived. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, I mean, and for me to actually be in a space now where I'm able to share my story or certain aspects of it without breaking down is huge. Yeah. And just hearing you get into, especially the nature aspect and just seeing you in just the transition, especially when you mentioned being able to share your story, to say it out loud, to be able to have that and to get into the details of the progression from everything that we talked about earlier from childhood and and talking about motherhood and all of these different pieces of your life and the, the events that happened and the changes that you made. Because I feel like for me, just hearing what does it look like and what does help, especially with being able to get outside and be in nature, be with Olivia, who we see on the screen now and do these different things. But I want to ask you too, before we hop off, where can everyone go to connect with you further? Um, I'm at mindful underscore movement underscore four underscore mania. I will put that in the show notes as well. You can go to connect with Mel and that's where we actually got connected in the first place. And you can see her page and just learn more about her story and experiences there as well. But Mel, I want to thank you so much for making the time to, again, come out, tell your story and really be able to share the reality of what it looks like living with bipolar disorder, tying that in with motherhood, postpartum, and really being able to see that transition. So I've I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I hope that you know we're going to have many more conversations um, to come. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Paris. 
Of course. And you guys, and you guys too, thanks again for tuning in and listening. And I can't wait to share this episode with you. I hope you guys have a good rest of the day or nighttime. And I'm going to end it on this note and say bye to everyone. So bye guys.